Nobody can ever accuse Nick Cage of not being a risk taker. Wow. This is probably the most anticipated film for me on the Real Quick Podcasts after watching the actual trailer. This movie is utterly bananas. And, spoiler alert, I fucking love it. I really dug Mandy. And uh, for so many reasons. And I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about those reasons for the next 30 minutes or so. But I think what I really want to focus on with this movie, what I really want to get to is... Nick Cage. Now, on the Science Fiction Film Podcast, we covered the film Con Air, and we knocked Nick Cage around a little bit. And if memory serves, and I hope it does, I remember thinking to myself, there's no reason to feel sorry for Nick Cage. He's not a joke. I think, I think the term he's a joke came up, which I, I don't remember. I, I seem to recall disagreeing with. The tape may say otherwise. But we did, uh, we did make fun of the caginess of it, as it were. But I will say this, listener, Nick Cage does not need your pity because he is a man that works his ass off. He does a ton of shit. He has so many movies now just in post-production. Like if I go to his IMDb credits on the computer to my right here, he has Grand Isle pre-production, Prisoners of the Ghostland pre-production, The Croods 2 pre-production, A Score to Settle post-production, Kill Chain post-production, Running with the Devil post-production, Primal post-production, Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse post-production. He released Between Worlds. He released Teen Titans Go to the Movies. He released 211. He released Looking Glass. All of that shit has come out for Nick Cage since his role as Red Miller in Mandy. This dude works a lot. And it's not just that he works a lot. Nick Cage, say what you want about him. He's done a lot of movies. He's done a lot of movies that you could probably argue are just not particularly good, right? I'm sure you can make the argument I'm not here to indict Nick Cage on his career. That's not my place. Um, we've talked about him before on our other show, Science Fiction Film Podcast, because we cover The Rock as well. But I will say this about Nick Cage. He is a risk taker. Nick Cage is not afraid to go into roles fearlessly. And I know it's hard to... It's hard to measure that. It's hard for somebody who doesn't know him, never met to him, never talked to him to measure that. The only way I can really do it is by looking at the choices he's made in film, the movies he has decided to be in over the course of his career, and how some of them are just so varied. You can't pin Nick Cage into a particular genre, can you? You can take the great actors that we know of. You can take the great actors such as, say, Robert De Niro and kind of pin them in certain roles, but Nick Cage, you can't. And I'm not suggesting Nick Cage is a better actor than Robert De Niro, but I am suggesting that Nick Cage has a much more varied career than Robert De Niro. I think I'm safe to say if you do something like Raising Arizona or, uh, you know, Vampire's Kiss or The Matchstick Men 
or eight millimeter or uh, the family man or gone in 60 seconds or i mean take your pick right these are uh and and, and then action films legitimate action films uh, like we've already discussed this is nick cage to a t he is good at taking on a variety of roles and there is something about nick cage that is compelling there always has been there is an air of mystery about him. There's an air of, to, to just use the word, there's a caginess about the man. And I don't mean that in the literal sense. I mean that in the descriptor as his last name, in that he brings something unique to roles. He's a very interesting man. And uh, that's something that I really like about him in this role as Red Miller. And I wanted to come out of the gate strong on Nick Cage because I think Nick Cage is a big part of this movie, but not all of the movie. This movie is so out there. You have to experience it. That Mandy to me is is like sex, is like standing on top of a mountain, is like flying in an airplane. You can't understand it by my description. You have to experience it for yourself. I can regale you with the pleasures of the flesh, but until you actually experiencing them yourself, my words are going to really fall flat. Now, as a podcaster, that's a bit of a problem. So I'm going to do my damnedest to explain to you why Mandy is just such a compelling film. First, it is a movie that handles a couple of different genres. It's very psychedelic. It has a 70s feel to it by design. It is a revenge film, no doubt, because, and spoiler alert, the titular Mandy is murdered, and it sparks this entire revenge film. It is a horror movie, but it also likens back to the Fangoria of old. It it really does. It goes back to uh, this homage almost to Hellraiser, these demonic bikers that are summoned with the horn of Abraxas. I mean, this is, and it's fantasy, right? That, that's, that's the next point. When you're standing there, I mean, you can equate the horn of Abraxas to the box that they, that they come from, that, that, that pinhead comes to our realm from Earth. There's, there's similarities there. But in this film, it feels different, right? In Hellraiser, it definitely feels more like a horror than it does fantasy. And Mandy because of the tone throughout the entire movie, it feels very fantastical to me. The movie is very phantasmagorical. That is uh, no doubt a certainty. And even though the film has flirtations with multiple genres, the film makes a great effort in staying tonally consistent. When you sit down to watch Mandy... The reason it's so hard to describe, as I've already said, is because the tone is very unique. It has odd colors. It's very artistic. You can tell the director, Panos Cosmatos, had a very clear vision here, a very unwavering vision on what he wanted to accomplish in this movie. And he did it. And it's hard to have multiple genres in a movie and in even tiny bits of comedy, and that's the cage part, right? There's a couple of moments of comedy in, an, in, a, in a largely dark film. And that's Cage. It's hard to take multiple genres. It's hard to take multiple genres and maintain something consistent throughout. It's like you have this, you have this genre, which is, you know, it's got a fantasy element, it's got a horror element. That's two. You got a you got a a, a revenge 
plot. That's three. It's very psychedelic. It's four. There's a sort of an homage to the films of the of the seventies. That's that's the hard grit. That's your five. So take one, two, three, four, five, and let's go say five B for a tiny bit of comedy. Take all five of them. You're going to stick them on a skewer like you're making a kebab, and you're going to throw them on the flame that is uh, Panos Cosmatos's the director, his vision. And that, that skewer that goes through all of them is him. And that is the theme. And somehow he manages to go through all of those genres, put it on the da- tasty, delicious grill. <laughs> this, this metaphor is ridiculous. And cook up an awesome movie. Man, this movie is a lot of fun to watch. It's out there. You're compelled. You don't ever want to look away. When you get up to grab a drink, you pause it. And visually, it is so striking. And there's something just so fun, awesome, dark, sad about this movie. And the characters are pretty cool. I mean, even though there isn't many speaking lines from Andrea, uh, I think her name is Riseborough. She plays Mandy, the titular Mandy. And uh, Linus Roach as Jeremiah Sand. He's like this cult leader. Those are your three mains. We talked about Cage. I want to talk about Andrea Riseborough for just a second. This this actress is is really good in this role, and it's really hard to be silent and to convey what feels like somebody who has a past that we never really learn about. She doesn't say a lot. She has like something's wrong with one of her eyes. It, it, you feel like the iris and pupil are larger than the other eye. And there is a scar um, under her cheek on her other eye. And she has this quiet, elegant, and graceful beauty to her, for lack of a better word. And there, there is something compelling about just the way she is on frame, the way she is on camera. This is one of those actresses where you just, I, I can imagine where they just say she, quote, has it, end quote, right? You got it, kid. This is her. I feel like while I'm watching this woman on screen, despite not saying much, she really gives you a sense of a past that is haunted, a past that is damaged. And you get that from Cage as well. Whenever Cage plays these quiet roles, you always get this sense of of, of just he's had a rough go, right? You get the sense that he's had a rough go. And, the, and together as this couple, I don't think they're married, but as this couple, he's a logger. You feel this damaged past underneath everything they do. You also get a sense of of dread through the entire film a little bit. But there are these striking moments with Andrea Riseborough as Mandy moving through the woods with these monologues over it. And she she has this wonder about her, but she's wearing this black Sabbath t-shirt and this long black hair and you think she's going to be one of those I hate my father girls, right? To be stereotypical. And she's not. She has this naturalistic feel to her. And there's there's uh, this, this sense of wonder about her that is really compelling and kind of beautiful. And I liked that. I liked seeing it. It, it would just, it seemed to fit. It's when you talk about all the elements of this film, you feel like it's going to be this smorgasbord, this mess of stuff, but it just ends up working in the end. Now, plot-wise, it, it's it's bananas. It's it is this guy Jeremiah Sand. He is you would call him a cult leader, 
and Linus Roche. Is it, is it Linus, Linus Roche who plays Jeremiah Sand? I think it is. Yeah. And he is incredibly intense, but not over the top. You know, this is something that I thought was done well. In a movie where demons are summoned by a mystical horn, in a movie where you're looking at it, where you don't think that's probably a possibility, you would imagine that as far as villains go, things would be a little over the top, a little bombastic. Jeremiah Sand is not a bombastic bad guy. There is a quiet menace to him with explosions of of this massive insecurity. You know, there's this weird thing going on with the Jeremiah Sand character, and that's it's this frailty of his ego, this insecurity that drives him to do this terrible thing to Mandy and, and read specifically Mandy by killing her, uh, capturing her first and, and, and trying to woo her and trying to be with her sexually. And it, and it's, and when she laughs at him, she, she literally laughs at him at one point, he's standing before her fully naked and it just drives him to insanity. This, this ego driven person. And that's what you imagine with this cult kind of person is this frailty of ego, this weakness of character. And in a movie where you have awesome looking demons on cool motorcycles with, with great costumes, you would almost imagine that you're going to get a bad guy that is just wildly over the top. And he isn't. There's a quietness about him that is unsettling. And the fact that Mandy sees him through these psychedelic visions because she gets drugged just adds to the mystique of the whole character. It adds to the tone of the entire movie. And I got to be honest with you, man. This, this movie was compelling enough for me to, to buy, so I own it, number one. Number two, I am going to keep a close eye on Panos Cosmatos' career. His filmography is brief. Eight years ago, he did a film called Beyond the Black Rainbow. I'm told I really have to watch this movie. Um, I'm told it's, 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 it's definitely worth a watch. So I'm going to put that on my list to watch. I don't think I'll cover it on this show because it's a little bit older at this point, but I do want to watch it. And Mandy, so that's all he's done. He was um, actually, a, he worked in the camera and electrical department on Tombstone back in 1993. So that's kind of neat. And he's, he's, He's a fairly young guy, if I'm not mistaken. And at least he, he appears young. He doesn't seem particularly old to have been on a film in 1993. I'm sure he's a very young man at that time. So uh, shout out to that. And um, his, his vision, he has quite an artistic style about him. And I was reading a little bit about the man, and he was saying, you know, when he was younger, he was steeped in Fangoria and the heavy metal magazines and all of that. If, if you're unfamiliar with that, the heavy metal, the Fangoria, if you're unfamiliar with that aesthetic, I highly recommend looking into it because after you do, you will see the influence that it had on, on Panos and his, or Panos, however you say it. Panos sounds a little bit too posh. I'm just going to say Panos. Panos Cosmatos, nice Greek name. Uh, Panos' career. And he talked about how he wasn't allowed to watch some of those movies or look at some of those magazines and he'd have to read these excerpts. And in reading these excerpts, he would get these ideas for what he would eventually create. 
I mean, all those years later with Mandy. And when you realize a little bit about the man in Panos, you start to realize why Mandy looks the way it does. And I love that. First, two things. I love that he was influenced by the very things that I loved as a kid. Two, there is something incredibly interesting about the fact that he has this very specific vision in this great influence that was big enough for him to name via interview that he read about. So think about that for just a second. Imagine if there was a comic book that was so violent that your parents didn't let you watch it. Excuse me, read it. Your parents say, nope, you can't have that comic. It's far too violent and, and, and it upsets you. And, and, and your mom or your dad or whoever says to you, however, I will let you read the, the leaflet, which there isn't in comics, or I, I will let you read the synopsis on the back. And you flip it over and you read the synopsis on the back and it just fires your neurons. It gets your imagination going. You imagine what's in the book. That is so fucking cool, isn't it? And then you sit down and you write this movie and you shoot this movie and you collect these actors, uh, this, this, this cool assembly. But before I move on to this, the way he's assembled this task, it's important to think about that for just a second. You didn't even get to look at that stuff deeply as a kid. You read excerpts and imagined the rest of it. And I'm sure as he got older, I'm sure he snuck plenty, whatever. I'm not saying he never did. But the fact that he talked about that specifically was really cool. I loved that. I love that he, he said how it just made his imagination go wild. That is really awesome. There's something to be said about leaving things to the imagination, right? And not just having it bombarded into your head or pumped into your mind's eye. He had excerpts of other people's visions. And then he created his own based on the imaginative response he had to reading the words. That's very compelling to me. Because, you know, you think about nowadays, there is, there is not a lot of subtlety in terms of the information available to us, right? We just go online and we can find out a ton of information. It doesn't make, ex- make us experts by any means, but we, we can fucking get, get it and have our, our own mind. And, and sometimes I wonder this about myself is I wonder how much I get influenced by all the shit I watch all the time. It, m- it must be inevitable, right? And, and if there is a purity in, in Panos's vision when he was younger, having not had that opportunity, just reading these little excerpts, that is just a fascinating concept to me. And it makes me really consider the way imagination works. Now, back on this eclectic cast for just a minute. Uh, again, I've, I've said what I've said about Nick Cage, but, but the three characters in this, Nick Cage, Andrea Riseborough, and, and Linus Roach, what a great, what, what, what a good assembly. And together, I think they work fine. Now, there's not a lot of intimate moments between any of them. They are all on their own journeys, so to speak. But they do they do get into the Jeremiah Sand character a little bit, this moment where he's crying, literally crying, because of his... He just drives by Mandy one day, and she's whimsically walking around in this Panos vision, right? In this fantastical film, this phantasmagorical... Uh, you know, thing that we've seen. And he becomes quite taken with her and he must have her, right? It's that I must have her, this, 
this cultish entitlement kind of thing that this man has. And when she laughs at him later in the movie, he he has this moment in the mirror where he's just crying and mad at himself and telling himself not to doubt himself. And, and he has to rein in his ego. And it made me think about ego a lot and how it's so many people's undoing. Ego is so many people's undoing because they feel like for some reason, how dare you talk to me like that, right? We're so ego-driven. We, we put power in other people's hands so much. We just give other people power over us by allowing our frailty to get the better of us, and then we respond. Be it a discussion on Facebook where somebody doesn't like a movie that you happen to love, and when they don't like the movie that you love, you get this response. That, that gut feeling you're having is, is insecurity. It's insecurity at, at that. It's, it, it, that's, that's part of it. And for some people, it's like, how fucking dare they? I'm going to dominate them into seeing it my way. There's that too. And we all are guilty of a little bit. But this movie takes it and it twists it in this weird lens and it shows you what happens when somebody has all this power and this weird cultish mentality. And not just that, not just the ego that gets in the way, but the overwhelming desire to act upon the impulses that the ego presents. That's cool. That's a cool character with Jeremiah Sand. And there's nothing redeeming about him other than he is a phantasmagorical look in the mirror at ourselves at times, right? He wants to be wanted. We all want that, right? Even those of us who pretend to be loners and say we don't, we do want to be wanted, right? That's part of the human condition. Assuming all thing, all assuming mental health issues aside, we all want to be wanted. We all want to belong. We all want to be desired by, by people we find sexually appealing, right? That's part of our biology. And we all want to have a sense of control over the things around us. And Jeremiah Sand represents those things, but in a much more twisted and maniacal way, I guess is the best way to say it. And the other thing I like about the, the, the aspects of the cult are the characters. You know, Brother Swan is one of the characters played by Ned uh, Dennehy. And they're, they're just, they just seem so regular looking. If they were at the grocery store, outside of maybe Jeremiah Sand, who has the cult leader, long flowing hair, shirt off, giant crucifix on, weird pants, right? Outside of that kind of thing, that, that homage to the 70s, as I've said earlier, they, they feel almost um, normal. Like if you, were behind, if you were behind Brother Swan in the grocery store or Sister Lucy, you would be none the wiser. And there is something about that. I like when evil can hide in plain sight. That's a theme I've always loved. That's why I love Battlestar Galactica, the Cylons hidden among the fleet. That's why I love uh, Deep Space Nine, the changelings. They're, they're hidden amongst you. You don't know who they are. Um, you don't know what secrets they have. And you know, if you were to follow Brother Swan, just imagine that for a second. You're behind Brother Swan, and uh, you follow him home one day to this place, to this madness. That's so compelling to me. That, that we may be brushing shoulders with these maniacal cult people at any moment. That is wild to think about. But this whole setup, uh, and, you know, it takes a while. It's a good 55 minutes before Red Miller, i.e. Nick Cage, starts to experience incredible loss. There's a lot of buildup leading up to it. 
And then when the when the Horn of Braxis goes and the bikers start doing their thing, it is it is wild, totally incredible. You could see this playing out in a comic book. Uh, leading up to that, Nick Cage has the, 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 these moments of loss when he's in the bathroom and his skivvies and he's just pounding, pounding booze and screaming and feeling this immense pain. And you just feel for him. And that's what Nick Cage does. He's not afraid to just cut loose, man. He he knows when to allow himself to just go there. And Nick Cage has always done that. Eight millimeter, Magic Men. He just or or Vampires Kiss or fuck even Raising Arizona, all all killer performances in their own way. But he just allows himself to go there, and he's not afraid to let himself experience it. And, you know, I, I can't equate anything I could ever do with performing in front of a camera or on stage or anything like that. But I will say, you know, having podcasted easily over 300, probably closer to 400 times now, there, there are moments where you feel yourself allowing yourself to truly be in those moments who you truly are. And they're very few and far between. And when they happen you feel like something special is happening, at least special to yourself, right? And that's the only the only tiny bit I can equate to when it comes to really seeing this guy go to the place where he is a primal version of himself and he just lets it flow. And that's, that's Nick Cage. He's a risk taker. And there's something to be said about a risk taker. And when you have a guy, and, and, you know, it's almost like you have a, co- a collection of risk takers, or at least you do in Nick Cage and Panos Cosmatos, right? Panos Cosmatos has taken a big risk with Mandy, and I think it's really paying off. And I just feel like there's a lot going on here. And um, and you and you in in the in the way the story plays out towards the end, the way the combat occurs, the way the fighting happens, uh, the way the the demons show up, it's just cool, man. It feels like an awesome graphic novel turned to life, and. There, there are even animated quick, brief moments in the film. I think that's how they handle memories. I don't recall. But uh, all, all awesome stuff. And, and special shout out to Bill Duke, by the way, as Carruthers, who provides Red Miller with uh, some of his weaponry that he's going to use to get revenge on Jeremiah and all his minions. But I highly recommend it. I mean, a cult leader summons demons on a motorcycle that show up on a motorcycle. And Nick Cage goes after him at the end with a crazy axe. It, it, it's 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 fucking wild, man. And I love risk taking in film. That's why I like this movie. You know, Beirut is a movie we cover on the show. It's not really a risk taking movie. It's a movie that I like for sure. But it it's kind of almost par for the course in some cases, as far as what you would imagine a movie like that would be about. A couple of little twists here and there, but. As soon as you push play on Mandy, you're watching something different. You're watching something different. And all of the things I've talked about here for the last half hour or so are exactly what you would imagine based on where where Panos comes from, Nick Cage history. All of this stuff is is what you get when you have Panos this 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 vision that he's made and and just it's happened. And I, I, I'm telling you guys, I really want to watch more from this guy. And I'm going to watch Mandy again, and I'll watch it with people who haven't seen it because it's just so fucking wild and brave. And I like I, I, full points for bravery. And Cage is great. Nick Cage is awesome. 
He doesn't need your pity. He's doing fine. He's got money. He's done plenty of good movies, and he's just done another one. So shout out to Nick Cage. Shout out to Panos. Shout out to Andrea, to Linus, all the people, Bill Duke, Ned, all the people in this movie. I'm naming them by a first name basis like I fucking know them. I don't know any of them, but I highly recommend this movie. I'm not going to spoil the ending. I'll let you guys check that out for yourselves, but I would recommend you guys rent this movie and watch it. Open your mind up to the possibilities of it. Don't be so constrained in your thinking. Let yourself feel it. Feel the multiple genres. Feel the outrageousness of the whole movie. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. There is some incredible cinematography in this. But full marks to the whole team, the cast, the crew, everyone who who put this together. And I guess Elijah Wood was a producer. That's pretty cool. Old fucking Frodo Baggins. And, uh, and check it out. Highly recommend it. On my scale, I hated it, didn't like it, liked it, loved it. I love this movie. I do. I love a lot of the aspects of this movie enough to say I confidently love it. Um, I think it's ballsy. I think it's brave. And uh, I want to see more shit like this in, in film. Now, that brings me to what we're going to watch next time. So I think what I am going to do is I'm going to change gears a little bit. I'm going to go into uh, something a little... Oh, you know what? Before that, I just want to give a shout out to Johan Johansson. He is the composer on this movie, and he sadly died on uh, February 9th of this year. And he was a young man. He was only 48. And uh, I guess uh, a little bit of an overdose with uh, some, some medication combined with cocaine, which is... Very unfortunate, um, and that is that is a that is a sad thing to happen. And uh, he, you know, he's done quite a few different movies. This guy did this did this the um, Sicario soundtrack. He did uh, Arrival, and this was one of the last three projects he worked on. Was this movie Mandy? And the music is fucking cool. And um, this guy was snatched away from us a little too soon. That's that's very unfortunate. Uh, he was a, a great composer from Iceland with um, a really a really interesting, I guess you would say, um, melodic choices and discordant choices at times and times where he's using real soundscapes to create something special. In fact, I think he was originally on the Blade Runner 2049 and, and, uh, I think I'm kind of talking out of school here, but I know he was associated with Blade Runner 2049. Let me look at his, uh, his, uh, wiki. It says, in describing the artistic process for Blade Runner, Villeneuve stated that the movie needed something different. And I need to go back to something close to Evangelist. Johan and I decided that I will need to go in another direction. Villeneuve brought in Hans Zimmer. Oh, there we go. So I guess he was originally going to be on it, and then creative differences in Villeneuve uh, decided to go with Hans Zimmer. So there you go. Cleaned up that mess. Sorry about that. So, But anyway, Mandy's one of the last three projects he worked on, and I think it's it's awesome. I love the music in this movie, and uh, I just love this movie. I think it's it's fucking cool. It's a very cool movie, which brings me to what reminded me of Johansson was I have decided that I'm going to do the Day of Soldado, which is the Sicario sequel. Um, It will be, I will try to get it out next Friday, which I believe is, I don't even know what day. It's the 28th today. I think that's the 5th next Friday. I think it goes available to rent on the 2nd, which is when I will probably watch it. And then maybe I'll record it on the 4th of October and try to get it to you guys by the 5th. Um, at the minimum, I'll have it out by Sunday that weekend. Uh, so just keep your eyes peeled for that. I'll, I'll try to get that to you by October 7th. Um, LSG Media has been cracking, man. I've been really busy. And uh, I hate saying busy because the 
words too busy should not really exist. It's really just about prioritizing stuff. And, you know, we're, uh, we're launching this uh, role-playing game, actual play podcast to our members, um, which we'll probably release to the public sometime in 2019. And uh, it's this four-hour episode we did that I'm trying to break up into multiple episodes. And it's real editing. It's like I have to do my homework for a change. I rarely edit much anymore. I just record things and release them to the public. But with that, it's a little bit different. With a role-playing game, it's a little bit different. And uh, it's been a bear. I got to be honest with you. At one point, I had, I think, 976 different cuts of edits I was working on. And it's been very (laughs) time-consuming. I'm starting to get a little headway on it now. So uh, please have patience uh, for your uh, for your real quick podcasts, knowing that um, I will I will make all efforts to get everything done in as timely a fashion as possible. And if it's a couple of days late, don't fucking lose your minds. All right, and definitely don't email me about it because I don't want to fucking hear it. I'm going to get out of here, but first, let's watch the Day of the Soldado preview. There's proof the cartel helped the terrorists get to the border. President's adding drug cartels to the list of terrorist organizations. You can understand how that will expand our ability to combat them. You want to see this thing through? I'm going to have to get dirty. Dirty is exactly why you're here. You're going to help us start a war. With who? Everyone. No rules this time. So look, realistically, I'm expecting a little bit more of the same from Sicario. Now, sadly, it's not the same director. So I don't, I, I got to be honest with you guys. I don't have high expectations on this movie, but I, I just wanted to bang it out. I want to watch this movie. It's something that I've thought about watching. And I know people want to hear my take on it because of Sicario and because of my love for Sicario. Sicario is probably one of the best movies I saw the year it came out. And uh, I know that people have been wondering about how I think, how, how I'm going to think about this. And, you know, I know Stefano uh, Salima, I believe, directs it. And cool, that's awesome. I don't want to be smirching, but Villeneuve put together quite a movie with Sicario. So my expectations are tempered on this. I think it's going to be more of the same. Um, I don't know how excited I am going to be to to watch this movie, but it's coming out. It's going to be newly available to rent. And I figured, what the hell? Let's bang out Day of the Soldado and see what happens. I'm sure there'll be plenty of cool things to talk about uh, when that comes out. And it's dedicated to Johan Johansson, the, the late composer. So that's kind of neat. A little shout out to him yet again. But in the meantime, I will uh, bid you good people adieu and thank you very much. And do yourselves a favor. Go out and rent Mandy because you deserve it. You deserve to see the cagiest of cages. Cages with Cosmatos. The Cosmatoists of Cosmatos and the Cagiest of Cages. Uh, lock horns for, for an, an epic phantasmagorical battle that will play out on the uh, screen in front of you. So don't miss out. You will highly enjoy this movie if you keep your mind open. God damn it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to get out of here. Visit on the web, LibertyGeek.net. That's LibertyGeek.net. All right, catch you on the flip side. Bye.
have a vivid memory of the first time. I was attending my niece's wedding and was at the sink in the men's room when a wet spot on the front of my trousers caught my eye. An unwelcome contribution from my bladder. Fortunately, I was wearing black and with my jacket buttoned, no one would be the wiser anyway, but for me, I knew it was time to see a urologist. Want to laugh during life's most embarrassing moments? LSG can help. Go to libertystreetgeek.net. Podcasters will give you a reason to wet yourself.